this year, 2023, I personally believe God has something so very special for each of you individually, but for us corporately as a church. Now, this is significant. Uh, I'm going to get into a passage a little bit later on in the study tonight, just with regard to the heart of God for us individually, corporately, because I, I think sometimes we really don't believe that God desires his favor to rest upon us. You remember just a few weeks ago, some of you opened up a, a, a Christmas card, and in it, it said um, about unto you is born this day in the town of David. But later, it says that, that it says peace to uh it says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Do you remember that? And, and his favor rests upon all of his children. And I want you to realize, I want you to come to grips with the truth tonight that God's favor rests upon you because you're a child of God. His favor is his grace. And his grace is everything that he has that we don't but desperately need. And we've looked at grace many times, and, and it's this idea of God just looking out and saying, what does, what does Cole need, or what does Jim need, what does Marla need? And he's so anxiously desiring to meet all of our needs. And we, the way he does that is by pouring out his grace. Whatever our need is that, we, that we're in desperate need of, that is what he chooses to pour out upon us. I want to tell you as, as we're moving into the sermon tonight about waiting upon God, which is what we're going to be looking at for the month of January. We're going to be fasting and praying. We're going to be touching about prayer and fasting, probably not this coming week, but the week after, because the, the message that I want to preach to you tonight is going to come in two parts. I'll get to that in a moment. But many of you have heard this story before, and it's basically the story of a raging river that during the storm, overflows and it floods a town and the people are fleeing for their lives. And one Christian gentleman who happens to be an author, by the way, of just test, writing testimonies of, of how God miraculously intervened, just in spectacular, miraculous ways, intervening in the lives of the people of God. And he decides in order for him to be saved, he's got to climb to the roof of his house because the river is, is rising. It's rising constantly. And he's praying, God, please, please do a miracle and rescue me. And not long after he prays, but somebody in a rowboat rose up and says, sir, you need my help. It looks like you're stranded. He says, no, 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 no. God has put this totally under control. God has this totally under control. And so the guy goes on. He keeps praying, God, pour out your grace, meet this need. And I just ask, rescue me in miraculous fashion. And sure enough, a, a motorboat chugs up next to his, his house and it says, sir, looks like that river's rising. It's going to crest your, your roof pretty soon. It says, the guy says, no, no, thank you anyway, but God is going to provide in miraculous fashion. I can hardly wait. And the man keeps praying and praying and, the, and it's, it's, it's almost up to the top of the roof where he's, where he's standing. And, he, and sure enough, as he's praying, a helicopter appears in the sky and a, a rope dangles down and the man he calls out and he says, sir, do you need help? We can rescue you. And the man says, no, 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 God's got this. But it wasn't but a few minutes later that the river crested the roof. Raging river claimed the man's life. And as he's standing before God, he asks, 
God, I don't understand. I prayed for a miracle, and you never sent one. And God said, what? I said a canoe, I said a, a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? Now, I mentioned this, and, and it's a, probably a story that you've heard or read online or somewhere, because I truly think that when we are praying, we kind of limit God in how he's going to lead us, how he's going to speak to us, how he is going to show us the right course of action to take. And we end up limiting God. And what I want to do over this week and next week, and I'm going to get only about halfway done tonight, is I want to share with you the many ways in which God speaks to your heart as a follower, as a believer in Jesus, and his desire to pour out grace in your life, make that available to you in your need. God, I believe, wants to speak to you in many different ways. I know too many Christians, they're just looking for a miracle. And church, you understand, I believe God does miracles in our day. He does miracles. But sometimes when we're praying for a miracle, he answers in some subtle ways and we miss it. And because of that, we kind of think, well, as, as I'm moving in this direction, is God even with me? Is It just, we have expectations. And I believe God wants to take our expectations and throw them away because Scripture speaks of hope, which is anticipation. Anticipation. And I'm going to get into that and the difference between anticipation and expectation in another message. But tonight I want us to look at how does God speak to us. Because if we don't understand how God is going to speak to us, it's going to limit us in how we're praying. We're going to, it's going to limit us in how we're seeing God unfold his plan for us. So I want to talk about how God leads us before I end up talking about how we end up seeking God. Because how he answers is going to set us up for how we seek him, how we wait upon him. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read a few verses starting verse 1 and then I'm going to skip over to verse 10 through 14. So Jeremiah 29 and it says this, remember, the, the book of Jeremiah is written to Israel, but it is about the Israelites in their exile in Babylon. But Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's trying to comfort and encourage and help the people there in Jerusalem as they have been ransacked, actually ransacked three times, in 605 and Five ninety seven, and then in five eighty six, and that's when five eighty six Nebuchadnezzar just destroyed everything. And, and, and Jeremiah is trying to really help them and minister to them. But this is a particular letter we're going to read that he writes to the exiles in Babylon. And this is what he says, verse starting with verse one. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now skip over with me to verse 10. I'm going to read a verse that many of you probably have already committed to memory. It's so well known. Starting verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years 
are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. As a nation, Israel is having a rooftop experience in Babylon. And they're crying out to God for deliverance, but God does not answer them in the way they were really hoping he would. Like, God, do it now. Come rescue us now. Destroy our enemy today. Don't wait. And Jeremiah has a word for them. Hey, guys, it's going to be 70 years. God's answer to their cry was very different than what I believe they were hoping for. But understand, he says, my gracious, his response to their cry was, my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. That's what God was going to do. He was going to fulfill his gracious promise to bring them back to this place. But Israel's return would take 70 years. Why? Why 70 years? Sounds like an awful long time. How many of you here tonight are at least 70 years old? Okay. All right. You know, that's, that's, that's a while, Okay. Um, you would have been in Babylon like the whole time. (laughs) But you know what? 70 years was for a particular reason. Number one, and there's a lot more to this than what I'm just going to share, but but Israel, because of their sin, had desecrated the land and not given it its Sabbath rests. And so now Israel was going to get that rest. And, and that was just simply a, a, a means. The Sabbath was a way for them to demonstrate obedience to God. What a simple way to do it. And yet they constantly desecrated even the Sabbath. But most particularly, God sent them away for that amount of time because of their sin. Because of their sin. God was disciplining what he calls his oldest son, Israel. The nation of Israel was like his oldest son, his firstborn son. And God was bringing discipline. But I want you to look closer at the text here. And it says there in verse 10, he says, when 70 years are completed for, it doesn't say Israel. It says for Babylon. And and I want to emphasize this because there's a reason for this. 70 years need to be completed for Babylon. Not for Israel, Because when it says it's completed for Israel, the focus then is on judgment or punishment. And yes, Israel was being disciplined. Yes, they were being punished. But here in Jeremiah, that is not Jeremiah's focus. That's not God's focus. 
focus. God chooses to focus on something different. So there's 70 years that need to be completed for Babylon. Because Babylon, even though they were an instrument in God's hands, they had done wrong. They had sinned greatly, and God was going to judge Babylon. Seventy years later, we find in 539 B.C., we actually read about this in Daniel chapter 5, in which the night that there was writing on the wall during a party, and Daniel was called in to the palace where they were feasting and said, hey, can you interpret the writing on the wall? And Daniel gives an interpretation, and it's the judgment of God upon Babylon. And that night, that night, during a drunken stupor throughout Babylon, the Cyrus, the, per, the Persian king's army, walked under the wall in the Euphrates River that they had di- redirected into the city. They now found themselves and overnight took Babylon captive. God brought judgment on Babylon. And the reason why he did that was because Babylon had sinned. But the focus then here shifts. And it's not about Israel's sin. It's about the very heart of God for Israel. And this heart of God for Israel is the very heart that God has for you. And it is this, that he has plans to prosper them and not to harm them. And I want to ask you, do you truly believe this, church? This isn't just God's heart for Israel. This is God's heart for God's people across all ages. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it is all those who believe in Jesus Christ, starting with Jews, but including Gentiles. They are the people of God. And God's heart has not changed for his people, and it is this, to prosper you. Now, I don't know what prosperity necessarily means. I know for some, they believe that it is God just giving them a million dollars, that if they play the lottery right, okay? And and the truth is, prosperity is God's blessing of welfare upon your life. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day a million dollars, right? Did I misremember that? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Provide for my needs now. That is God's prosperity. Actually, in Deuteronomy, it talks about God doing this as a sign of the covenant. For for him to give you the ability to make wealth. To meet your needs. The family's needs. Your personal needs. God's heart is to prosper us. And and I believe that if our heart is right, that it truly is to be givers and not just takers, not just reservoirs, stagnant pools, but reservoirs are built to be able to supply water for others. And if that is our heart, I believe that God will pour an abundance into us so that it overflows into other people's lives. Note, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is God's heart. His heart is to prosper us, and it is not to harm us. 
Do, do you believe that it is God's heart to harm you? Do you believe that if it's maybe not God's heart to harm you, but maybe to allow the devil to do that? You know, many Christians truly do believe. Well, you know what? I've just got to learn my lessons in life, and they expect bad all the time. And don't get me wrong. God allows us to go through struggles and difficulties, but his heart is way down the road seeing all the good that will come out of everything in your life today. God's heart is to prosper you, and it is not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Can I ask you, do you have that hope? Coming into 2023, is there a hope that is stirring within your heart? Now, can I just let you be honest? Some of us, as we've left 2022, maybe we find that our hearts, for the most part, are broken. We've experienced great loss, hardship, struggle, difficulty. And so what I'm preaching right now kind of just seems like words to you. And, I, and I'm praying and have been praying that God would take these words right now and that he would plant them in your heart. Because you need to realize that God's heart is so much for you. And if you miss this, it doesn't matter what I preach over the next couple of weeks. You will not be able to truly believe that God is going to lead you. That God's heart is really to lead you to green pastures and beside still waters. Not raging waters. The raging waters frighten the sheep. His desire is to lead you beside still waters and to nurture you, to lead you in green pastures, to provide for you through daily bread. God's heart is to protect you, to truly lead you as you're praying, as you're fasting, as you're pouring out and crying out to God and waiting upon him this month. And of course, over the remainder of the year, but we are praying as we're moving into this year for God's leading. He's going to do that. Because that's the disposition of his heart for you. His heart is always the same for you. Regardless of your present need of financial struggle, of an enemy that's attacking you, coping with the loss of a loved one, needing clear direction with regard to your business, how to respond to an offense. Perhaps an ongoing physical problem. Loved ones you're praying for. Loved ones that have strayed from the Lord. He wants to prosper you and not harm you to give you a hope and a future. Do you believe this? Now, with this in mind, I want us to ask this question, how then does God lead us? That's going to take me into next week's message as well. But how does God lead us? First and foremost... God is going to lead us through his word. We're going to go through over a half a dozen ways in which God leads us. Some tonight, some next week. Number one, taking notes, number one is through scripture. Now listen to what scripture has to say. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the reason why we study the scripture is so that we will understand the heart of God and we'll understand how he leads us so that we know how to pray. Scripture shows us, he gives us biblical principles to know how to cope and deal with life 
in a way that pleases him, in a way that's according to his will. When we fill our hearts with his word, it directs us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for yours, for his name's sake. You're his child and you're representative here. For his name's sake, he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. Why? Because you're hiding his word in your heart. So I'm just going to say, if you are not doing that, if you are not being a student of the word, if you're not sitting down as often, regularly, every day if you can, just reading the word and letting it soak into your spirit, how can you be led? Are you going to make it on just one sermon a week? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to challenge you. I don't think that's enough. So maybe that's why we come Tuesday nights as well, right? But for you personally, this is you personally. It's not being fed. It's you personally seeking God in his word. And that habit truly has such profound ramifications for your life. It truly does. Because this walk that you that you have every day is be is about you and the lord now it includes others but it's about you and the lord and god connecting with you and leading you and it's not always going to be through a mom or dad it's not always going to be through your pastor or a spiritual mentor though those are important we'll get to those later but it is going to be personal you need god's word in your life for this reason, it says, Psalm 1-2, it says, meditate on his law day and night. And that's when you'll become like the tree planted by streams of water. God will constantly nourish you as you are waiting upon the Lord, or as, I, or as the NIV says, hoping in the Lord, he will renew your strength. So this is God's heart for us. Men and women of God's word, Psalm 37 Four says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, before you walk out the doors tonight thinking that, oh my goodness, the desire of my heart is that $40,000 motorcycle, Harley Davidson. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that God may not do that, but I don't think that's what he is getting at. You see, when we, uh, when we are truly delighting in God, he takes his desires and he plants them in our heart. And our desires then are transformed and renewed according to his desires. That's the importance of the word of God. My heart soon becomes his heart. My thoughts start becoming his thoughts. My intentions and desires start being aligned with his. And his desires are beginning to be birthed in my heart. And he gives us those desires. Now, on the other hand, if those are his desires, this month as you're praying and God is birthing desires in you and you're praying according to those desires, guess what? I think God is going to give you the desires of your heart because they're really his. But you've got to know the word. You've got to be in the word regularly. Letting it cleanse you, letting it align your heart, your will, according to his. But biblical principles are not enough. You heard me say that. Your pastor just said to you, but biblical principles are not enough. 
I'm not trying to blaspheme. I'm not trying to contradict scripture. There's so much more that God gives us. But the very next thing I want to touch on is he gives you his spirit. You see, principles are very important. But if we do not allow the Holy Spirit then, coupled with the word of God to lead us, we're probably going to become very legalistic. Or we are just going to sit there twiddling our thumbs wondering, what am I supposed to do now? Because God's, God's heart for you is to, as you take these biblical principles, say, for example, that apply to finances, you're going to be able to now take those principles and distill them down to a course of action. The Spirit, though, is the one who's going to help you in that process. John 16, 13 says, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. That's his promise. James 1, 5 says, and we've studied this as a church several weeks ago, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without fault or finding reproach, and it will be given to him. So here you are. You're, you're, you have a financial struggle, and you're wondering, okay, God, what's, what's your will for me? What do you want me to do? So here's my financial need, and hey, if I don't have the money, then I'm just going to go borrow it. Okay, well, I'm not going to say that God's word always says you can't do this. But just realize, for you, that may be a knee-jerk reaction that God is trying to pull the reins back and say it's not today. The more you're in his word, the more you're allowing his spirit to lead you according to these biblical principles and show you specifically in this situation how to walk them out. If you're not in the word and, listen, and, and seeking the spirit of God, there's no guarantee he can lead you. But understand his heart then is to give you a hope and a future. His heart is to prosper you, not to harm you. But if we ignore his word... I know people who have maxed out half a dozen credit cards because their knee-jerk reaction is to throw down that plastic every time there's a problem. They fail to save, but they regularly say, well, I don't make enough to make a budget, so I don't know how to save. And you know what? You're the person who needs the budget the most. So if we can follow biblical principles, be led by his spirit, then we will be able to walk in this blessing, prosperity, if you will, that God's heart is for you. Wisdom is this. It is knowledge and understanding properly applied in given situations. Now, I'm sure that probably didn't turn a light bulb in anybody's, turn on a light bulb in anybody's mind. I'm just going to read it, though, one more time. Knowledge, wisdom is knowledge and understanding properly applied in given situations. Wisdom doesn't ask, how can I do this and succeed without sinning? Wow, did you place the bar low on that one. It is not wondering how you can succeed without sinning. But how can you succeed the best way possible far from sin. How can you do this? How can you truly 
follow the heart of God. And I'm going to just tell you this. You've heard me say it before. Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes the good is the enemy of... We want to settle for what's... Okay, well, okay, I'm not sinning by doing this. Okay, but is it truly God's best for you? You can marry any Christian that you want, I suppose, but is it God's best for you? You could probably purchase any home, any location, but is it really God's best for you? Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes the best requires us listening a little bit longer, pressing into God a little bit harder, and the other things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of, of weeks. You know, I, I could have stayed, my, my family and I, we could have stayed in Virginia Beach years and years ago. I could have pastored a church there, part-time, turned into full-time, and that would not have been sin. But church, I truly don't believe that that was God's best for me. And you know what? God's best for me and for my family was actually harder than staying there. It was harder. To the point where as I would plan, it, was, it, it seemed as if God just delighted in blowing my plans up. Plan, go ahead, my plan. Okay, wow, that really bombed. But you know what? It, it forced my wife and I and my family to press into God more and more and harder. And I want to tell you, church, it was hard. It was hard. But many times, the best comes when we fight the hardest. Many times, as I'm going through life and things are really easy, I take a step back and I have to wonder, am I on the right road? And it's not because I doubt God's goodness. It's just that I know that I am serving God and I am fighting the enemy. And I'm not seeing the enemy. And it just causes me to pause and just make sure that I'm on track with God. Now, I don't pray for harm. I don't pray for hardship. I don't do that. That takes care of itself. Trust me. There's plenty ahead. But this was hard. And so we left Virginia Beach. How, though, do we discover the best? So we're, we're looking at the word. We're seeking to be led by the spirit. But then God will begin to open doors and close doors through circumstances. That's number three. God uses circumstances in your life. So let's say that, that the financial situation. Okay? And you're taking these biblical principles... One of which is that the borrower is servant to the lender. Another it has to do with just the desires of our heart. The fool follows the desires of his heart rather than the desires for the Lord. Practically the definition of foolishness. The Bible talks about how we should truly be seeking after God and that we are not to serve both God and money. The Bible talks about waiting upon the Lord. 
And so when we face a financial crisis and you're finding that your knee-jerk reaction is to just go take your, that piece of plastic and throw it down and, okay, well, your debt just increased. Can you believe, before you throw that plastic down, can you believe though that God might have a different plan that maybe he wants to provide through other people? That maybe as you press into him and seek him and cry out to God, even to the 11th hour and 59th second, as we're seeking God, praying that maybe God will provide then. Rather than, oh, there's a problem, don't have the money, plastic. Now, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that it's sin for you to go into debt. I'm not going to tell you that. I don't believe the scripture tells us that it's sin. But the Bible does talk about waiting on God rather than running to alleviate stress or running to things of the world. You know, so many times when kings ran into a problem, there's an army coming. They went and they hired out another army rather than trusting God to protect them. So I, I get that. And I'm not saying if you borrowed money that that, that that was sin or that that was wrong. But can I just tell you, have you allowed God to direct you? Have you allowed him to provide for you? Have you allowed him to open doors and close doors? And so here we were, we're in Virginia Beach, my wife and I are praying. There's an opportunity for me to pastor a church in Albany. I had been there twice already to preach. I knew the senior pastor, and he was wanting to step down, and he was wanting perhaps this door to open for me. And so my wife and I were praying. To be honest with you, my wife dreaded living up north in New York of all places. She struggled with that, but she was, well, okay, if this is God's will, then she would crucify the flesh. Um, but you know what? As we prayed, God began to say, and, and, and there was the opportunity, though, for um, to pastor part-time, at least, at the church we were at. So here's two, two open doors, at least seemingly open doors, and we just begin then as we're Going through that, the open door for one happened, uh, both of them actually happened in August. Here we now are in September of 1993, and we just come to the conclusion, you know what, we need to set aside a day of fasting and praying. Now, God could have called us to three days or a week. We've done that kind of stuff. I personally don't like fasting that long. I know some people who have fasted 40 days. But you know what, God just said one day, I'm grateful, one day, fasting and praying. At the end of the day, my wife and I get together, I mentioned this to you last week, and God leads us, and we are supposed to move out of our house. That would mean that the door to serve the church we were a part of then, we were closing. We just did not sense that that is what God was wanting us to do. So that door was closed. One door left. Come November, we're, we're now getting ready. We're all packed up. We're getting ready to move up. It's close to Thanksgiving, and I get a word from the senior pastor that they chose not to have me go up there. And God closed that door. Within six months, for a variety of circumstances I won't get into, the Lord actually ended up shutting the church down. So now both doors are closed. 
we then realized, well, there has always been a third option that we have looked at, and that was starting a church. And we had looked at a number of different places. And God so far has closed two doors. And now, God, you need to show us where we're even supposed to do this. And so we set December aside. We spent it in Delaware with Meredith's grandmother. After that month was over, we're still seeking God. It was a month with her family. And the Lord began to confirm that we were to actually start a church, not where they lived in Fort Lauderdale, but actually here in Orlando. And can I just tell you that up until that time with we left for Delaware, Orlando was not on our radar, at least not on my radar. It just wasn't. And step by step, God closed doors and opened others. God directed us. He used circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. Circumstances or a closed door does not necessarily mean don't walk through the door. Sometimes there's a closed door and God needs us to keep knocking on it. Or sometimes he wants us to break the door down. And so I have to pray, God, I'm thick. I really am. I, I want to be aggressive in the pursuit of your will. But I know that the devil wants to close any doors possible. And so I'm going to try and open this door. And if you don't want me to walk through that, you need to bar that door and not allow me to walk through. Because I'm trying so hard to be led by your word and by the spirit. I'm seeking counsel and other things. But God, and as my wife and I are praying, I'm trying the best I can to listen to her heart and just sort through this. But you know what? So many times God has barred that closed door. He's locked it. I don't have the key. I can't knock it down. Okay, God, that's a closed door. God will open the right door. Church, generally, you need only one open door, right? It's not like you need a lot, but he needs to close some of those doors. And I believe as you go into the year 2023, God is going to do just that. He's, you're getting into the word. He's leading you by his spirit, and now he's using circumstances to direct you. The fourth thing, and I'm going to wrap up the message with this last one. It can be a bit long, but I'm going to do the best I can to shrink it. And do you believe that the Spirit of God can actually lead you through dreams and visions? Proverbs, excuse me, Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says this. It is Peter, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost after they just heard all 120 in the upper room speaking in tongues. And these people are like, what is going on? And he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And Peter, to begin his, his message that 3,000 responded to, to make Jesus Lord and Savior, he begins it this way. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We'll get to that next week. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Usually it's young men who have the dreams, right? But no, here it's old men. I want some dreams, Lord. But the truth is God's going to lead us through visions and through dreams. And we see this throughout Scripture. Abraham had visions and God appeared to him in those visions. Zechariah in the New Testament had a vision of an angel that spoke to him. Cornelius, same, he had a vision 
And the angel spoke to him and said, hey, you need to go to this person's house. I'm going to send someone. And he has a very important message for you. And that's when Peter came, preached the gospel, and Cornelius and all his house became believers in Jesus and were baptized. Filled with the Spirit, even. But God spoke to him in a vision of an angel. Paul fell into a trance and had a vision in which God told him to leave Jerusalem because he was going to be persecuted. Paul had a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. Joseph had several dreams to show him how best to be a dad to Jesus. Joseph, the, the father of, of Jesus, actually had four dreams and each of those dreams, God showed him how he was to best be a dad to Jesus. Ecclesiastes 5.3, it says this, As a dream comes when there are many cares. Can I just tell you that, there, that God created you to dream? God created you to dream, and I don't think anybody on planet Earth fully understands what dreams actually do. Do you realize that it's not just Christians who dream and symbol? You are actually wired to do that. Usually, when you have a person who comes back from a war, traumatic war, in which he saw friends dying, usually, not all the time, but usually they don't dream those very same scenes. They tend to dream with symbols. That's just the nature of dreams. And God has allowed these dreams, allow us to dream, to deal with anxieties and worries in our life. So I'm just going to encourage you, if your dreams have symbols in them, it doesn't mean it's necessarily from the Lord, okay? And what it requires, though, is it requires you to be patient and make his dreams clear to you. That may not happen right away. Do you remember how old Joseph was when he had the dream that directed the trajectory of, of his life? He had it when he was 17 years old. He was about 37 when it was fulfilled. He didn't know exactly what it meant, but he's 37 years old. There's a famine in the land. He's just spent seven years saving up food because God directed him to do that for the nation of Egypt. And now... His brothers are there needing food, and he can give it to them because he's been wise for Israel and storing up their prosperity for the next seven years. So somewhere in that seven years, we don't know, but when the seven years of, of famine and, and, uh, and such, their lack occurs, he's 37 years old. So sometime 37 and on, 20 years after his first dream, his brothers come to him, and they bow down. Because he is now governor of Egypt. Second in command. And it's scripture says, and he remembered his dreams. I'm not sure he completely understood them. Can I encourage you, don't do what Joseph did when you have a dream. Just run and tell everybody about your dream. Unfortunately, that's what Joseph did. Got him into a lot of trouble. I think it was important, though, that he shared it with his dad. But over those 20 years... God needed to do something in Joseph's life to prepare him. And I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know how God is preparing you. 
But God can speak to you through dreams. God can speak to you through visions. And many of you have had visions of pictures in which you've seen God doing something. And it's really ministered to people. See, that's the purpose of these things. God has a heart to lead you. He has a heart to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that as I close in prayer now, that God wants to just minister hope to your heart. You, you seem as if the good things from God, those doors are closing. Well, if there are good things from God, he will open those doors. Because God is not against you. At times it feels like God has abandoned us. We can feel alone. I can only imagine Joseph when he was in Egypt and he was in prison wondering, God, what were those dreams all about? I, I, I don't fully understand them, but what were they all about? You think maybe he just took those dreams and said, forget it, and just forgot about them. It's possible. But for two years, he was in jail. But he was seeking God, and he just made the most of those two years in jail and turned it into a jail ministry. So whatever hardship or struggle that you're going through, if you can understand God's heart for you is so good, as you press into him, he's going to begin to reveal his will to you through scripture, through his spirit. He's going to do it through circumstances, opening doors and closing doors. And he may give you a dream or a vision. But that's his heart, to lead you. In these last days, he's going to pour out his spirit. And as long as he's pouring out his spirit, church, this is what we can expect. Prophecies, dreams, visions, until Jesus comes back. But I want to help you to understand how do we do this. And when you, if you have a dream... Don't hesitate to just submit it to someone, to your spouse, to a spiritual leader, to, to myself as a pastor, to someone that you, that you look up to spiritually. And they may not know the answer right away, but God gave you that. If that's a dream from God, he gave it to you for a reason. Allow him then to fulfill it. Church, can you stand with me? Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. It's truth. It guides us. It leads us. And I pray into all truth. Father, we want to walk in the very center of your will, not on the outskirts. We, want, we don't want to succeed, but just somehow barely not sin. Father, we want to follow in the very center of your will, no matter how hard it is, and seek you, pursue you. Let that be our heart, God. And if it's not today, may it be. Because your heart for us is so good. Encourage us with this word, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.